the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Setting dates for the return of Jesus Christ is clearly wrong. Because I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 13 and see what Jesus said about that. Mark chapter 13, we looked at this last week, but I want to sort of review and and, uh, bring you up to the last portion of Mark chapter 13. Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 28, now learn a parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But Jesus said this, But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. verse 36, Jesus himself said, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will be talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Throughout the church age, there have been various times when Christians were sure Jesus was about to return. Back in the early 1830s, a man by the name of William Miller began to predict that Jesus would return in 1843. He had studied Daniel and Revelation for many years, and he was convinced that he had unlocked the secret of Christ's return. He published a book in 1836 detailing his prediction. Thousands of Christians followed his teaching. Many quit their jobs and waited for Jesus to come. Of course, Jesus didn't come. Jesus' own disciples asked, when will the end be? And what did Jesus say? (laughs) Well, let's find out. Here is Pastor Steve Kreloff, our teacher, on the Verse by Verse program. He's giving us more background on William Miller and his prediction. Through his study of Daniel and Revelation, Miller became convinced that Jesus Christ was going to return to the earth in the year 1843. He found, especially through Daniel, he felt that uh, Daniel speaks about the coming of, of Messiah, that there was a portion of scripture that said after so many days he would come to his temple. And so he, he believed that, and he came up with the year 1843. Now, his views attracted many followers who began to prepare for the coming of Christ. They took 
his views rather seriously. And when Jesus didn't return in 1843, the followers of William Miller faced much persecution from churches. They formed a, a new religious group, actually left their churches, and uh, today it is known as the Seventh-day Adventists. One of Miller's followers, after Jesus didn't come in 1843, changed the date to October of 1844. And so they got all excited about that again, and they uh, they were preparing once again for Jesus to come in October of 1844. When both of these dates failed, as the time of Christ's return, someone else on their group said, the day after they expected Jesus to come, said, but I had a vision of Christ coming, and uh, uh, really, we've just made a little mistake on the interpretation. He did come, but he came to his temple in heaven. He didn't, come, he didn't mean he was going to come to his temple on earth. He came to his temple in, in heaven. And so uh, they sort of justified their belief that uh, date setting was all right. And they simply concluded that it was their interpretation of scripture that was wrong. But the fact that they set a date for Christ's coming was right. But listen, setting dates for the return of Jesus Christ is clearly wrong. Because I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 13 and see what Jesus said about that. Mark chapter 13, we looked at this last week, but I want to sort of review and and, uh, bring you up to the last portion of Mark chapter 13. Jesus said in Mark 13 verse 28, now learn a parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But Jesus said this, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus makes two basic statements about the time of his coming. Remember, the disciples asked him, when will the end be at the beginning of this chapter? And he really doesn't get to answering them until the close, until this closing parable one of these closing verses in which he begins to address something of the time of his return. He says, first of all, it's near. When you see the things that, that I spoke about that will happen in the tribulation period, when you see these things happen, know that it's near. Just like when a fig tree has emerging uh, leaves, new leaves, and there's a tenderness there, you know that summer is near. So you, when you see these signs, you'll know that my coming is near. So it's near. Once the tribulation begins, it's near. Secondly, he said, but it's not revealed. It's not revealed. The people living during the tribulation period will know that it's near, but they won't know the day or the hour. In other words, they won't know the precise moment. They'll have a general idea of when Christ is coming, but they won't know the precise moment of his return. He said, it's not revealed in Scripture. And therefore, no one knows. Not even the angels. And the angels can read Scripture. And they can read it in any language. And they can understand it in any version. And they don't know. So nobody knows except the Father. And now, of course, the Lord Jesus. We explained that last week. No one knows when he's coming. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 24, which is a parallel passage, let's turn there, Matthew 24, parallel passage to Mark 13. In fact, Matthew brings out even more that Jesus said than Mark does. But in Matthew 24, uh, 
Jesus really emphasizes that nobody knows. And it's an emphasis in Matthew 24. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days, which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. He's not saying they were doing anything that was really wicked. It's not wicked to eat and drink and get married. What he's saying is they were ju- it was just life as normal. They did not listen to Noah saying that judgment is coming. I didn't expect it, even though Noah was proclaiming that. Verse 39, And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. He's speaking about judgment now, not the rapture. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. One will be taken in judgment, one will be left to enter into the kingdom. Therefore, he said, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Though Noah was proclaiming for 120 years, they did know when judgment would come and that's his point so he said you be on the alert because you don't know when it's coming and then verse 43 but be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into for this reason you be ready too for the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will now jesus compared his coming uh, to the coming of a thief Certainly not the analogy that his character is like a character of a thief. It's simply the comparison. The thieves don't announce the time of their arrival. You'd have to be a pretty stupid thief to announce when you're coming. In fact, you wouldn't stay in business if you can call it business very long. If you announced when you're coming, uh, they come when no one expects them to come. A number of years ago, uh, our house was was robbed, and uh, it was robbed while we were away at, at, at some friend's home. And we came home that night, and we didn't expect a robbery. If I expected the robbery, I would have been there with a rubber band or something waiting for whoever came in. <laughs> but we didn't know. A thief doesn't give you advance warning. Jesus is saying, my coming is like that. In the sense, you do have advance warning with the Lord, but you don't know exactly when he's coming. So always expect it. That's what he's saying. Now, I want to ask you this question. If you knew that Jesus, his coming was near, but you didn't know precisely when, how would it affect the way that you live today? In other words, if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming back at any moment, Let's say you knew he was coming back tomorrow. How would it affect the way you live today? Let's say t- today we heard a voice from heaven saying you've got five minutes, or five hours, or 24 hours. How would that affect the way you conduct your life now? It really should affect it. It really should make a difference in the way that we live. In Mark chapter 13, let's go back to Mark 13, Jesus closes what we have called the Olivet Discourse because he gave it on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. He closes this discourse and this chapter by telling us to live as if he was returning at any moment, to live as if we expect him to appear at any time. And we want to close our section by reading verses 33 through 37. He said, Take heed. He's still speaking about the time. The time. It's near. It's not revealed. Take heed. Keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time is. It's like a man, he said, away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. 
Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he suddenly come and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Now, the key word in these verses is alert. Alertness, that's really the theme of this. Be on the alert. He said it in verse 33. He said in verse 34, keep on the alert. Also in verse 35, he said he also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. He said it in verse 37, uh, or in verse 37 too, he said, uh, and what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Now, what does it mean to be on the alert? What does it mean to be alert? Basically, this word means to stay awake. Stay awake. To watch, to be watchful. In fact, we get our English name, Gregory. You know someone named Gregory? It's from this Greek word. Gregory comes from the Greek word that we translate watch. Gregory literally means the watchful one. That's what this word means, someone who watches. So we're told that in light of Christ's coming, that, and we don't know the precise moment of his appearance, we are to, to be spiritually alert. We are to be watching. We are to be awake. The opposite of being spiritually lethargic and asleep. You don't have to be physically asleep to be asleep spiritually. In fact, he says in verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. He doesn't mean for us that we just be asleep and like we're snoring or something. It's that lest he come and you're not ready. You're dull. You're lethargic spiritually. In other words, we're to live with an attitude that Christ could arrive at any moment. We're expecting him. We're to live like that. We are watching for him. Now, someone might say, who's followed this whole series of messages from Mark 13, someone might say, well, no, no, we're not the tribulation. We're not going to be in the tribulation. We're going to be raptured. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, And therefore, someone may conclude, well, this doesn't apply to us because we're not the generation he's speaking of. But notice verse 37. He said this, and what I say to you, I say to all, beyond the alert. In other words, not only is he referring to the tribulation generation in these last few verses concerning alertness, now he's broadened it to everybody. To everybody. Every Christian in every generation needs to be alert. Now we need to be alert concerning the rapture of the church, not the, not the tribulation. Uh, those living in the tribulation will need to be alert concerning the return of Christ. But now he expands it and it applies to everybody. So we're to live as if Christ could come at any moment, at least his appearing. Now, what does that really mean? It doesn't mean that every morning when we wake up, we look out the window and uh, we look at the clouds to see if, if Jesus is beginning to appear. No, that's not what he means at all. In Mark's gospel, what we just read, Jesus closed the Olivet Discourse with a parable. It's a, it's a simple story about a man who owned a house. He owned a house and he went on a trip. He went on a journey for some time, apparently. And he put his servants in charge of carrying on the work of the household while he was gone. In assigning to each servant a specific and and special task, the owner of the house especially ordered the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. said, you're the porter or you're the doorkeeper, you stay on the alert. The doorkeeper's job was to watch for the owner's return. He was to be alert and ready for the arrival of the owner. Then Jesus expanded this, and he used this little story to say that all of us are to be like the doorkeeper. We're we're like doorkeepers. Uh, We are to be spiritually alert and watching for the return of Christ because we don't know when he's going to arrive and we don't know when he's going to appear and we don't know when the rapture is going to take place. The rapture is that that truth in Scripture that we will hear the the voice of, of the Lord and the angel and we will be translated. We will be snatched up 
to meet the Lord in the air. It's never happened before. And if you're sitting there thinking, boy, what, what comic book did you get that from? Uh, that's because it has never taken place before. And we have no frame of reference But everything else the scripture says about prophecy that would come to pass has come to pass. So the rapture certainly will as well. The truth of God's word. Jesus said, you don't know when my appearing will be. In verse 35, he said, uh, it could be, and he's using the Roman system of time now, it could be the evening. That would be from 6 to 9 p.m. It could be midnight. That's from 9 p.m. to midnight. It could be cock crowing. That's from midnight to 3 a.m. It could be in the morning, 3 to 6. He said, it could be at any time. You don't know. So live expecting my return at any time and be spiritually alert. In this passage of Scripture, in Mark 13, Jesus just spoke in in general terms of alertness and, and our spiritual responsibilities. He didn't give the specifics, but his disciples did, the apostles did, and in the rest of the New Testament, we learn of the specifics of our responsibilities in light of Christ's return. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to go over the responsibilities we have in light of the return of Jesus Christ. It's very practical. It's, it's really a topical message. And we just want to cover the truth of how should we live in light of, of Christ appearing at any moment. In light of, of the certain return of Jesus Christ, we are to be godly, and we are to serve. Those are the basic categories. As I've searched the scriptures this week and thought about it, it comes under two basic categories. We are to be godly and we are to serve. First of all, the return of Christ motivates us to be godly. Let's begin by looking at 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. The return of Christ ought to motivate us to live godly lives, to live a life of holiness and purity. It is not simply a doctrine that we learn, it is a doctrine that transforms us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John wrote, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. John says God's love is so great, so incredible, so unlike human love, that He has made us His children. It's not like man's love. It's not like anyone's love here. Um, it is God's love is unique. God's love is, is really out of this world. It is unworldly and it is so incredible that he's made us his children. We who hated him at one time, we who despised him, we who were rebels to him, he's made us his children. God has provided salvation for sinners in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And the moment we accept Jesus Christ and his death for us is the only way to heaven, we become children of God. And that's incredible. That's just incredible. We become children of God, and that's what we are right now. And that's why he says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the children of God. As his children, we still struggle with sin. We struggle with all kinds of things in our lives. We worry, we get angry, we get jealous, we lust, we lie. Our pride gets the best of us at times, in fact, many times. And God has given us a new nature, and he's transformed our character, but we still struggle with sin. But someday that's going to change. Someday it hasn't changed now, in the sense that we're, we're, we still struggle. But someday those struggles will be over, because the end of verse 2, or the middle and the end, say this. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We still struggle now. We're not now what we will be like in the future. What will we be like? We know that when he appears, that is when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him 
just as he is. We're going to be like Jesus Christ. When Jesus appears, we're going to be transformed like him. The rapture comes, we're going to be changed. The dead in Christ will rise first, they'll have new glorified bodies, and we're, we then follow them, and we're going to be changed. We won't go through the process of death if we're that generation who'll be raptured, and I don't know that we are, but we will be changed, and we will be transformed. We'll have a body like, like Christ, resurrected, glorified, an incorruptible body that is not bound and confined to this world. And also what John means in character, we'll be like Jesus Christ. Not just in our body, not just outwardly, but inwardly. We will not have the capacity to sin at that point. And we know that someday we will be like Christ in body and character. You say, so what? How does that affect me now? How does that change me for the better now? How does it help me in my present struggle with sin? Well, verse 3 tells us, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself even as he is pure. In other words, everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ appearing at any moment is continually becoming pure. Knowing that when Christ appears, I will be like him motivates me to want to be like him now. It's, it's sort of a paradox. I struggle with sin now, but just knowing that someday I'll be like Christ helps me to get going and motivates me to, to be like him now. You see, it isn't that we just sit back and say, well, someday I'll be like Christ, so I don't, I don't need to work on anything. Those who are going to be like Christ want to be like him now want to be like him now. And knowing he's coming back at any moment motivates us to purity. If the rapture occurred today, would you be ready? Would you be ready? Is there purity in your marriage? Is there purity in your mind? Is there purity in your financial dealings? Is there purity in your relationship with people? Family relationship? Are things right? You can't say... I guess you could, but it'd be improper, it'd be unbiblical, say, well, someday I'll get that straightened out. Uh, if you have that attitude, you probably won't get it straightened out because you just get harder and harder and harder. Your heart doesn't get softer and softer unless you actually commit yourself to the authority of Scripture. If you leave it up to your own inclinations and feelings, your heart gets harder. Is there purity in your life now? Would you be ready right now to stand before the Lord? Your job ethics, are things pure there. All kinds of situations. People who claim to be Christians but don't desire to be like Christ prove that they really do not know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He didn't say they, you know, they have some carnality, they don't follow me for 20 years, but that's okay. No, he said, my sheep follow me. They may struggle and they go off on, on tangents at times, but it's not their whole life. They follow me. First John, in fact, is about John by the Spirit of God giving assurance to those who are genuine believers. He says in 1 John 5.13, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. These are tests for the believer to say, hey, if I measure up to this, then I know that Christ is in my life. There are certain tangible signs. I hate sin. I, may, I, I still sin, but I hate it. Unbelievers don't hate sin. We hate it as well as love it. But those who don't know Christ don't, don't uh, hate it. It's a paradox with us. Unbelievers don't care about purity, but believers do. And that's what he's saying here, that if you really are a believer, then you have your hope fixed on the return of Christ, the appearance of Christ, and therefore you want to be like him now. You're not content to say, well, someday I'll be like him, someday I'll be conformed to his image. You say, yeah, someday I will, but I want spiritual maturity now. That's the mark of a believer. But it's possible for a genuine Christian to not make the strides that he should make. In his, in his own pursuit of godliness to be like Christ. So John says that we can be motivated 
by, to godly living by fixing our hope on Christ's return. If you're struggling with sin in your life, you need to stop dwelling on that. And you need to start dwelling on the fact that Jesus could come at any moment. That's what will purify you. Otherwise, you're just going to be very introspective and looking at your problems, and, and that's, uh, that's rather depressing. But that's where a lot of people are at, and, that's, uh, and I think that's wrong. Don't dwell on your problems. Dwell on the return of Christ, the appearance of Christ. How often do you think about that? How often in the course of, of your day do you think about Christ's appearance? If we thought more about it, that it could happen at any moment, then don't you think that it would affect every area of life? Don't you think that some of the things that we make such a big fuss over are absolutely petty, nonsense, little nothings? I like to think, and I can't say I always do, but I like to think at times when there's a, a petty squabble over something that in 10 million years, what difference does this make? When I'm serving the Lord somewhere in the universe in 10 million years, who cares about this? Actually, if we're realistic, we have to say in, in about 10 days, who cares about this? I like the way Pastor Steve wrapped up today's verse-by-verse program. He said, how often in the course of your day do you think about Christ's appearance? If we thought more about it, that it could happen at any moment, then don't you think it would affect every area of our life? Hmm, good questions. I think most of us get pretty busy with average everyday stuff and don't think about the fact that Jesus could come today and call his children home. The Apostle Paul encouraged us to dwell on those things that are above, and that's great advice. I hope you were blessed and encouraged by listening to Verse by Verse today. If so, please tell a friend and encourage them to tune in next time to Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.